Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The Browns have lost three straight, including the worst defeat of the season Sunday to New England. Halloween is still almost two weeks away, but the season is on the brink already. Here to discuss it all with me, as always, is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. What's going on, Chud? Scott, I'll tell you, that was an ugly one. Uh, but before we get to that, and I'm doing well overall, hope you are as well. Um, before we get to that, though, just got to say, you know, tough loss for the Guardians last night. But, uh, man, I'll tell you, it, it was really fun following them and uh, enjoying playoff baseball again in Cleveland and and uh, just some amazing wins against the Rays and and, and the Yankees taking them to a game five. So just got to give them props. And I, I know this is a Browns uh, podcast, but uh, you know what I mean? It, it was a good ride. Oh, it was. It was fun. Um, I'll tell you what, I feel bad for my uh, 93-year-old grandma. I don't know what she's going to do now. She was. I saw her yesterday before the game, and she was all excited. You know, she keeps charts, the wins and losses. She'll watch the rest of the playoffs because she's a baseball fan. But um, it's going to be, you know, it's a long whatever it is, four months, five months until they start playing again. So it, w- it was a fun ride. Just wish it would have lasted a little bit longer. Yeah, funny you say that. I stopped over at my dad's yesterday. He's 89, and he's super into it. You know, he kind of keeps score of the games. Mm-hmm. And my my wife's grandparents are into it. Um, you know, a lot of people around that age group, you know, they really get into to Cleveland baseball. And uh, I am, and, you know, all of us, I would love to find a World Series here. I mean, it's the longest drought in Major League Baseball, and, uh, you, you know, hope. One day it would happen. We were so close there in 2016. But uh, I know it's, you know, it's a Browns town, but I, I will always say it's a big baseball town, too. I know a lot of people don't believe it is, but um, I, I really think, you know, people are wondering if people will show up. Man, that place was rocking yeah. for those playoff games. And um, But anyway, it, it was a good ride. I know a lot of people are disappointed if Beaver didn't pitch. Uh, I'm fine with that call by Francona. I totally trust him now. I maybe would have gone bullpen game and not pitch Savali, but again, I'm not going to, you know, criticize Francona because he, he's done so well. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's hard for me to criticize Tito, number one, and I, I think it took, you know, you take a lot into an account, including the fact that, right, he Bieber missed a bunch of time last year with an arm injury, and, you know, I heard Tito yeah. on the pregame, and that's what it sounded like to me was that um, – that was at the front of their mind with not pitching him on three days rest. And it's hard for me to argue with that. Now, you know, he needs Savali to, uh, you know, to throw a strike, mix in a strike in the first thing would have been nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I can't take I can't blame it all on uh, not having Bieber. And I think it's probably the right call. I really do. Yeah. And I joked on Twitter last night, was Bieber supposed to hit as well? Right. I mean, he scored one run. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they didn't really hit in the playoffs at all. I mean, you know, and you, you knew that one or two runs wasn't going to beat the Yankees like it did the Rays. So, um, yeah. you know, you got to maybe get a bat in the offseason. Not maybe. You need to get a bat in the offseason and get a little more offense. But uh, anyway, good to talk Guardians with you there real quick. <laughs> and uh, now on to, you know, I, I feel better about them, even though they're eliminated the playoffs than I do about the team that's still alive. You know, I mean, and, and – but the funny thing is, and there's about four different ways I want to start before we break down the game, though, you know, in general, if you really look at the the 
the standings. I mean, they're two and four, right? And they're only yeah. a game out of first place. As bad as it is, they're they're first place teams are three and three and, and you play both of those teams coming up. So as bad as it is, if you can somehow find a way to turn it around, you control your destiny. Yeah. And that really is a saving grace. And, you know, I know Kevin Stefanski tries to keep it, you know, one game at a time kind of attitude, go one and zero this week, but I'm sure that's going to come up, whether it's from him or the assistant coaches, or I know the players are saying that, um, yeah, that's huge, and it does give you, if you're the team, it gives you, I don't know, motivation or hope, whatever, that it's still right there in front of you, right? As bad as these last three weeks have been, if we do X and Y, we're right where we want to be. So I think that's critical to mention, but I also think though I've had those conversations with players before, right? We still control our destiny. Everything's in front of us. Those conversations are like November and December, right? Like, those are late in the year kind of conversations. They're not October 17th when we're talking to Jack Conklin the other day and he's talking about that, right? And we have to have a play, you have to have a playoff mindset. And I think it just shows you how important this stretch is and how what a critical stage this season is at so early, right? And part of that goes back to we talked about it a bunch, right? The easy schedule at the beginning. You needed to take advantage. They didn't. The fact that you're playing with Jacoby Brissett and Deshaun Watson doesn't come back till December 4th, right? All these things meant you needed to get off to a good start because you have that target number in mind. Or at least we do. I'm not saying the team does, but realistically, the target number is you got to get to five or six wins. You know, and it's not only for when Deshaun Watson comes back, but that's such a mile post, right? Is you got to get those wins. Like you have to have a certain number of wins to give yourself a chance at the end of the year, no matter who's playing quarterback. And if you squander them early, right, you blow leads in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden there's fewer and fewer chances to get to that number you need going into the last month and a half of the season. And if you don't get one or both of these wins against Baltimore and Cincinnati, then it's hard to it, – that math gets a lot, a lot tougher. It just gets a lot harder to get to the 9, 10, 11 wins you're going to need to get into the playoffs. And it looks like in the AFC North – like you said, three and three is first place. So maybe, maybe 10 and seven gets you into the playoffs, right? Maybe that wins the division. Nine and eight still feels like a stretch to me. But regardless, if you're two and six at Halloween and entering your bye week, then you got to go what, eight and one. Like the, the math just doesn't work. So these two, these next two games are, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that the season. The season, you know, the the balance of the season rests on these next two weeks to keep themselves in the discussion. Yeah, feels like you got to win both of them, no doubt. Um, you know, leaving the sports department on the air, you know, I do the news now and, and I do sports in the morning as well, but I don't really have the format or the time to break it down or analyze it. But I, I was a little hard on a Monday morning just for a moment because I'm tired of the sound bites coming out of the locker yeah. room about how we can fix this. And, and just, they're saying this, it, I'm tired of them saying they're going to do it. I want them to go do it, Scott. I'm tired of hearing the same old thing. Yeah, I, I get that, Judd. I, I don't know. And I, I completely understand that. And I completely understand fans, you know, Kevin saying we're disappointed and frustrated every, every time they lose. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the better way to handle it is. Right. I know, I know fans want to see emotion and they want to see it really be painful to the guys and maybe that's 
what feels like it's missing. Although, like, I, I don't have any doubt that these guys are heartbroken when they lose. Um, they're devastated when they lose. And I, I got a little bit more of that from Stefanski the other day. I know the quotes were pretty routine for him. Um, you know, he threw in a, I know how bad that looked, or I, I know how it looked, I know how it felt, which was a little bit of a change-up for him. But listening to it live, you know, and I sit in the front row of those post-game news conferences, it felt the same to me. But when I went back and watched it on video, like his face looked a little different to me. Like he was trying to convey that he understood how bad it was. Um, and, and maybe that doesn't come across if you only hear it, right? Maybe it doesn't come across even if you see it, but you're not used to seeing him every day like I am. Um, but but I get what you're saying. I, I don't know what the perfect answer is for him or for the guys in the locker room. Um, maybe you just need to see more emotion, but I completely understand what you're getting at. Yeah, the whole believe in the locker room. Yeah. That's what I keep hearing. Well, I mean, well, I mean, what's he going to say? We don't have the guys to do it. I mean, then you're then you're fighting with Andrew Barry, right? Like the season's not over. You have to. I think you do have to express some type of optimism, and you do have to express belief in your guys, um, at least publicly, right? Like, it, what does it really do any good to come out and say Grant Delpit is terrible? I can't believe I got to play this guy at safety. Like that. That's. I mean, then we're writing about that. Like, I I think he's in a tough spot. Um, but I also think that Kevin's style, right, which is unemotional, even keel, kind of say the same thing over and over, doesn't give us great answers. I don't think that lends itself to, um, I guess, conveying the how disappointed and devastated, whatever you, whatever adjective you want, what a loss is, right? The fans feel it gutturally, and I think they want that shown from their coach. And that certainly doesn't come across because that's not really his personality. You know, does that make sense? All right. Well, well, let me backtrack then because, yeah, you're completely right. I guess I don't really mean it as much from Stefanski because I, I, you're right. That's you, you're, you know you're going to get that from him. But I feel like you're hearing it from the players yeah. too. The, hey, we believe in the locker room one game at a time. It, it's the, the vanilla answers. Like yeah. maybe that's what it is. I want to see more emotion from, from them. I, you know, Instead of telling me we believe in the locker room, tell me what you're going to do to yeah. change it. And, and why you can't change, why it hasn't been changed. I mean, listen, we're not talking about a team where the expectations were two and four, you know? Right. No, I mean, where they, they were supposed to be four and two or five and one right now. Yeah, no, I get, I completely get that. I, I really do. Um, and I agree. I mean, you've been in a ton of locker rooms, Chud. There are those points where you get that guy, right? You get that guy or more than one guy who has a, a rant, let's say, after a loss. And we really haven't seen that yet. You know, you get Jacoby Reset addressing the team. You know, I really, I think his disappointment comes through, but it's not, it's some kind of high volume or, right, like it doesn't come across that way. Um, Miles Garrett talks about, hey, I need to do more, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I think Miles means it, but he's also coming off a game where he played pretty well. He had two sacks and a forced fumble. So it's easy to say I need to do so much better when, you go, well, really, I don't need to do that much better. I just had a great game. You just are saying that. So um, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I do think that's been missing. And I, I don't know if that re- if that results in wins or losses or not. Um, but certainly something needs to change, right? And I guess, I, I, you know, maybe your point is that if you saw a change in the reaction to a loss, maybe that would lead to a change in the outcome the following week. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe, sure. I mean, I, I don't know. Just 
uh, yeah, I guess that's what I'm wondering yeah. is you're right. I I've seen that in the locker room before. You're right. I, I, I know we've talked about this before too, about, you know, what they're supposed to say as, so as it, different from what sometimes they accidentally say or <laughs> the emotion. So you're right. I mean, I, I mean, we've criticized them before for saying something that they did in the heat of the moment. So I guess I can't really be hard on them for not saying it either. I, I guess I'm not, you know what? Hey, I'm human. I'm not going to be happy either way. How about right. that? You know, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I get that. I do. I get that. Yeah. So uh, l- let me ask you this. And I, I don't want to get into the same answers that we've had because we, we've talked about this before in, in, in Woods and the coaching staff and yeah. all this. But I, but I guess, you know, do you feel like, this is a, a Kevin Stefanski problem. It, is is he not what we thought he was, or do you think that with time he can correct this? I guess what it, I, I'm not asking you if you think he should be fired. That's not what right. I'm asking you. I'm thinking you. I'm asking you. Do you have confidence that he can turn this around? It's a great question. Um, I, I think I say yes still, and I base that on I really do think he's smart. I think his plans for the most part are solid and he, you know, it's, everything's well thought out, right? Like that. I don't doubt. I don't doubt that he works hard. I don't doubt that he's smart. I don't, I don't even question his plan a lot of times and we can get into that, whether or not they should run more, whatever. But like, I I think there's serious thought and preparation and a good reason for X, Y, and Z that he does. Um, so if you have that as a backdrop, then yeah, then I think if you given time, given the right players, given the right circumstances, yeah, if you're smart and work hard, then, you know, yeah, you got a chance to make things work. And I also think he did not, you know, we've criticized his play calling or discussed his play calling. Um, and we can get into that if you want. But overall, I think he's done a good job as a play caller um, this year. And even in his three years here, like, I don't think that's keeping the Browns from being where they need to be. So, you know, he, there's a couple levels to his job because he is a play caller. I think he's fine as a play caller. To me, the bigger question is, how is he, I guess, as a leader, is he directing this whole operation? Um, you know, and part of it's going to be, how can he get these guys out of a tough time, right? That's leadership. Um, can he do it? Can he make the right big decisions? And you said, you know, I'll get into Joe Woods, but real quickly, is firing Joe Woods the right decision, right? Like that's on the that's on Kevin Stefanski. And when you talk about everything that falls under his umbrella, he better make that right choice. And it, I'm not saying that fire him is the right choice. I'm just saying he better make the right choice because that's on him. So I I, I haven't not not who cares about my faith in him, but I I'm not to the point where I said, man, this guy's not the right guy for the job. I get that they're starting to be that sentiment. And that sentiment is growing. Um, I'm not there yet, but he needs to show some stuff. And he needs to show that he can get this team out of a tailspin. And he can weather these huge storms, which include his defensive coordinator being on the hot seat. Yeah. You know, I don't think I'm that good at Twitter, Scott. I really don't. <laughs> I, think there's, I, I think there's people that that are really good at it. You know, they're comical. And, yeah. you know, if you don't take them too seriously – Everyone kind of has a niche. Um, you know, some people try to go on there and, you know, act like they know it all, whatever. But, you know, every once in a while I'll put something out there and it will catch fire. It doesn't happen often, but 
Um, I, I didn't even think it would when I, when I wrote this, but I, I believe it. I just want to know your opinion because this got a ton of reaction. And I just simply wrote the notion that the Browns will be a winning team when Watson comes back is not the layup many think it will be. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I saw that one, Sean, and I really thought it was um, it was a it was a good tweet, and it made me think. Um, I, I think that's a great discussion topic because part of me says, well, they lost a game by three points, a game by two points, a game by one point. If you have such an upgrade in quarterback, that turns those games into wins, right? And and I think there's validity to that thought process. However, I know that Deshaun Watson isn't making any tackles on defense. He's not going to cover the tight end like Grant Delpit failed to do. He's not going to have, you know, he's those miscommunications on the back end of the defense that we saw early in the year are not disappearing. So he's, he's only one guy, right? And I know the quarterback has extra importance. I get that. And we've talked about it when we used to go on TV together, Chud, we would talk about, man, if they just had a quarterback, everything gets better. And that part's true. But I think when you look around the league and you see Tom Brady's three and three and Joe Burrow's three and three and Lamar Jackson's three and three and Aaron Rodgers is, I don't know what he is, two and four, three and three and just got waxed by the Jets. Um, it's not all about the quarterback. Now, I do think this team has talent and has enough talent to win games, right? I mean, we see them, right? They're in games. They've, I think they've gotten to the point where, and not last week notwithstanding, where you know, they go into games and they have a good chance to win a bunch of games. And whether or not they do or don't depends on if they live up to that talent, how they play that particular game, how they play in the fourth quarter, how the ball bounces, turnovers, all that, right? But they've reached they've, – they've gone from having no talent to having – being on the same level as many teams in the league. So when you have that as a backdrop, then, yeah, I think quarterback makes a ton of difference in – if Deshaun Watson plays like Deshaun Watson of 2020, he would make a huge difference. But I don't think it's as simple as saying if he comes back, they start winning. Because right now, and I think this is what you're getting at, I know you're getting at, it feels like the problems go beyond just quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And at, at the same time, though, I think Kevin Stefanski deserves the shot to get Watson back and to play this out because I, I think we both know and, and everyone knows that in, there's a, a culture with Haslam's and what's been there. And if they just turn around and were to revamp everything before Watson, like people want Stefanski fired now. They want Woods fired now. I, I They want these things to happen now. But I, I don't think it's fair to let the whole season play out and see how you look at the end of the year. You know, it maybe it's their failure to realize they were going to be without him for as long as they were going to be. Whatever the bottom line is, they've put themselves in this position. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, And yeah, I I do think it would be unfair to Kevin Stefanski. Not that, you know, not that the world's fair and the NFL's fair, but I, I do think it would be unfair to Kevin Stefanski to say, okay, you get. Baker Mayfield for two years and Jacoby Brissett for 11 games. And we're going to judge everything on that. Um, that doesn't seem right. And yeah, they knew they were going to Watson was going to be suspended. Maybe they misjudged that. Maybe they miscalculated by, you know, relying on Brissett and not, you know, going to get a Jimmy G or whoever else was out there. Um, 
and that's another point we could discuss if you wanted to. But um, yeah, I think I, I think you're right. I, I think it's important to let Kevin Stefanski have some time with Deshaun Watson. Now, you know, just having Watson, you know, that might not cure those leadership issues if you think that Kevin Stefanski's issues are bigger than just the offense. Um, but we focus so much on the offense with him because he's a play caller that, yeah, I, I think I think it's only fair for the guy to have, um, you know, like a big-time quarterback running his offense and see how it looks. I, I think, to me, that makes a lot of sense. I know you're right that a lot of people would probably disagree with that, and I know a lot of people want those guys fired now. But to me, that does make sense to give him time. The defense, I mean, we, we continue to talk about it each and every week, and it's just I, – I, I think each week it becomes more mind-blowing at how bad they are. They are. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty uh, good way to say it. It's a pretty blunt way to say it, right? Um, yeah, the, you know, what, to me, Judd, and I want to know if you agree with this, it feels like there's a new problem every week, and that is – Number one, it's tough to watch. Number two, I think if you're a coaching staff, it feels like the target's moving on you all the time, right? Like, okay, we fixed communication, and all of a sudden we can't stop the run. Okay, we fixed stopping the run, and then we can't cover in man-to-man, right? Like, they played better against the run against the Patriots, and they knew the Patriots were going to run it down their throats or try because they had a rookie quarterback. The Browns had given up 440 yards rushing the last two games. Well, so all the whole plan was, all right, well, we can't let that happen. So they had a bunch of dudes at the line of scrimmage, right? They practiced tackling, and they were better tackling for the most part. I mean, Grant Delpit, you know, throws his shoulder, and John Smith runs right by him on that 53-yarder. Um, you know, maybe MJ Emerson misses a tackle on a 31-yard touchdown run, but he kind of got sucked inside. To me, it was less about the tackle on that play. Um, the point is, they did better. They did better against the run. Like they gave up ninety-eight yards and three point something a carry. That's way better. But in order to do that, then you had to leave your corners in man coverage and your safeties in man coverage, and they got beat too much, right? So there's something else new every week. And if you don't have like one of, like a tent pole, right? Something you can rely on is, hey, this is what we do well. And if something else crops up, we'll figure that out. But we can rely on this. And it just doesn't feel like this defense has that, right? Like, you can't say, hey, we're a great blitzing team because they're not. Well, you want to say you're a great man coverage team because you have Ward and Newsom and Emerson and Delpit's a second-round pick, right? Like, you go through the list. But they didn't look like a great man coverage team against the Patriots. And I know Denzel Ward didn't play. And for all the people that call call out Denzel Ward because he gets hurt and because he has a concussion – you missed Denzel Ward on the field Sunday. I think he would have made a difference. Um, now, maybe that's just making their argument because but, he's not out there because he's hurt. Yeah, um, yeah, but, and they, that's the problem. He, yeah. He's, like, hardly ever out there. Well, I mean, he plays, like, 13 games a year. That's not hardly ever. But All that's right. but that's the, I mean, that's the <laughs> narrative out there, right? Like, he's never out there. Um, but my point is, he's really good when he is. And, yeah. you, you know, I think, that he, I think that showed up. To me, that showed up a lot Sunday because – Emerson's been good, but he wasn't good enough um, Sunday. And I think Ward would have made a difference. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So, like, the defense, there's just nothing you can hang your hand on. And it's a tough way to live. It's a tough way to coach. And on top of that, you're in your third year, right, with Joe Woods in this system. 
and it's second year for almost all these players. And you wonder how that can be possible, right? Like, how do you not have, you know, whether it's an identity or a strength and, and it just doesn't feel they have one. I just, I mean, what was your reaction when, when Hunter Henry scored that touchdown? That, that was Henry, right? When he was that wide open. Yep. Yep. I mean, I just, I was, I can't even, th- I just shook my head and I just, I think I walked away and I'm, I it just, it's, it, it's just un- like, how does that happen? It just seems, yeah. you know, I, you know, well, what yeah. were you thinking? Yeah, well, you get Grant Delpit matched up one-on-one with him because it's third and one. So you got a bunch of dudes, guys at the line of scrimmage trying to stop the run. And then he gets, you know, I don't know if he gets locked up with Henry, kind of bumping him off the line of scrimmage or Henry's, you know, trying to block him like it's play action. And then he falls down. I don't know if he gets thrown to the ground. He falls and you're wide open. And you know, it's you think, well, just don't fall down. Um, and obviously that's part of it. But technique comes into that, right? Like whether or not you have to be able to disengage. You have to be stronger. You have to have the right foot movement. Like that's what these guys practice all the time. And I'm not saying guys can't fall down from time to time. It happens throughout the league. Um, but I don't know if you, you know, you can't fall down on third and one when you're responsible for stopping that guy and it th- turns into a 31-yard touchdown. And you especially can't let that happen when you grant Delpit and you've given up, you know, he's been involved. It feels like he's been involved in all the big plays this year. Whether or not they're all his fault, right? Like when Robbie Anderson runs by Newsom and Delpit, Delpit's there. When Corey Davis runs by Ward, Delpit's the other guy there and against the Jets. Um, he's on that 53-yard play because he doesn't make a tackle Sunday with John New Smith. Um, at the end of the game, they run the end around, and it's Delpit's guy, and he completely blows it. And the guy runs right by him for a, whatever, 19-yard end-around touchdown. Like, you know what? I'm re, you know, I go back and I rewatch the game, and he made some plays. Like, he was better in run support. Like, he made plays at the line of scrimmage. But you can't give up, especially if you're safety, you can't give up, like, four big plays a game. And <laughs> it's kind of what Grant Delpit did on Sunday. And, you know, it's kind of a bigger topic of discussion here, Chud, but you talk about Joe Woods and how responsible he is and whatever. You know, this guy's a second-round draft pick, and I'm not throwing the whole, you know, all the Browns' troubles on Grant Delpit, but I think he's, like, a good example of them. He's a second-round draft pick. Guys are talking about how he's a Pro Bowl-type player in the preseason, and then he's playing – I think he's playing really poorly, and then it makes you question the talent evaluation and the talent acquisition. But if this guy's supposed to be a key piece of your defense and he's giving up big plays seemingly every week, then, you know, is that a Joe Woods fault problem or is it an Andrew Barry problem, which is why this feels bigger than a three-game losing streak. And, you know, I know the NFL, everything gets exaggerated. At you, to, you know, the focus is so sharp. Um, but it does feel like that, right? It doesn't feel like age just an isolated loss. It feels like, Oh my gosh, did they draft the right guys? Do they have the right coaches? And when you start having those kind of questions after week six, that's when a season can go off the rails. Oh my gosh, that is uh awesome analysis there. That really is eye-opening when when you when you say it that way. I'm just sitting here and my my jaws kind of dropping. And then it kind of goes back to my tweet, right? About yeah. the, the deeper than just the quarterback. Boy, so that's kind of scary to think if you're a Browns fan. Now we're questioning the 
players that are on the field from the front office bringing them there. And then that goes back to what we've talked about the last couple of weeks that I always bring up to you about how this secondary acts like they're the best secondary in the NFL, but they're clearly not. And then you start worrying about, okay, then the coaches and my gosh, I mean, that's a little bit, that's a little bit scary. And I think I mentioned, I know, I don't think I know I mentioned this in the predictions last week is that I was really concerned and a big reason I picked the Patriots and we'll get to that later, but Bill Belichick and they were just immense, severely outcoached in this game. Yeah, it, there's no doubt. And and I, you know, you figure they would be right because we saw what happened last year in New England and it's Bill Belichick, right? So like I, I went into the game knowing that that was a possibility, but I also know that, you know, the Patriots are two and three. It's not like Belichick just rolls out of bed and wins every game. Um, and some coaches have good plans to combat Bill Belichick, right? And I, I thought that the Browns might have a good plan. Um, and I thought they were more talented than the Patriots. And that didn't matter because you're right. I think they were outcoached to the degree where it didn't necessarily matter about talent. And I don't think that talent necessarily, I don't think it showed up. And your quarterback throws a bad pick early, right? Like all those things kind of feed off each other to, you know, you get, you get killed, right? Or whatever, 38 to 15. Um, yeah. But it, the, the basis for that, it was Belichick had a real good plan that was better than the Browns plan. His guys were able to execute it. Um, their run defense, right, limited what the Browns did from a run offense perspective, which better than anybody else has been able to do to them this year. You know, you got – you look at, well, man, why is Kevin Stefanski putting Jacoby Brissett in these situations, right? Why is he throwing deep on the second play of the game? And first of all, Farrell Brown was wide open. And, you know, from the press box, you know how that view is. Judge, you can see it like the all-22, right? You can see kind of open up. He's open early. Right. And I probably said, hey, geez, he's got it open. Um, and Brissett waited too long to throw it. And then he underthrew it when he did. Now, we can argue whether or not that's a coaching problem. Why even ask your quarterback to do that? But I mean, geez, they practice that play all week because it's scripted. It's the second play of the game. You got to trust your quarterback to make a play at some level. And that was a chance to make a big play. And your quarterback didn't do it. I don't put, a, I don't put, the bulk of that responsibility on Kevin Stefanski. Some people would argue with me. I don't. Um, but my point, my point is to juxtapose, Bill Belichick's got a rookie making his second start that's a fourth-round draft pick out of Houston Baptist in Western Kentucky. And he threw it 34 times with this kid. And the kid was <laughs> the kid was phenomenal because, oh. because of everything else, right? Because they set up the run game. Because the Browns were so devoted to stopping the run that he was getting one-on-one matchups that even a rookie quarterback could exploit. Um, so, yeah, so but, so part of that is coaching, right, that he put his guy in a chance to have success. And I'm not saying Stefanski did, because I think Stefanski put Brissett in some chances to have some success, success and they didn't work, and it was on Jacoby Brissett. Um, but I, my point is, he, met, he coached the game trusting his quarterback or saying, hey, we're going to throw it 34 times, and even though they were winning, right? And he was able to make it work. And you flip it, and the Browns weren't able to make it work. <laughs> you just – I got a couple directions I'm going to go with here, but you just – another tweet I had. And it's, it's funny you just – what you just said is what I felt too. I said, the Patriots can plug in a quarterback named Bailey Zappi and no problem at all, full speed ahead. 
Then you have the other side of the story with the Browns. Like I was just sitting there going, if we had Bailey Zappi, this would not be happening. Right. <laughs> I think that's a fair statement. And that goes back to your original point of Bill Belichick, right? He won yeah. that game. And yeah. And it speaks to his greatness. Maybe it speaks to Kevin Stefanski's ineptitude. That feels a little strong, but whatever. The opposite of the greatness. Um, and I think that's a really strong point. And that's where, to me, there's a million plays you can pick at. But where this game was decided, it certainly felt like a Belichick coaching staff won this game versus uh, Kevin Stefanski coaching staff. I'm going to make you think here for a minute. Because your analysis, that analyzation you had before was just so awesome and spot on. But then you just said that part of why you thought they might win was because they're more talented than the Patriots, yeah. that the Browns have all this talent. So our, this goes back to what we've been talking about week after week. I always ask you, right? Yeah. I mean, how many weeks have I I've been asking you how talented really is this team? So, yeah. right? Because you, we're, we're sitting here going, you make a great point about, well, these the front office is putting these players and maybe they're not as good as they think they are so we're being told they're talented but are they but yet yeah. obviously we see guys like chubb and garrett and we know how talented they are right yeah. again this is what confuses me about this is the heart of the problem and what confuses yeah. me about the 2022 browns yeah I, I don't have a i wish i had a great answer for this chud um i will say that the thing about football and NFL, you know, the NFL is all of it comes together, right? Like it's not just one thing. So if you have better coaching, then the talent looks better, right? And it goes the other way around too. But like you feel like if these pieces were there, um, let me rephrase it. <laughs> and it goes back to your original point. I was thinking after the game, if you flipped coaching staffs yesterday or Sunday, right? I think the Browns win. And, you know, Bill Belichick's probably the greatest ever. So, I, you know, I don't know if that's a big indictment on Kevin Stefanski or not. But he's saying, okay, if you, if you flip coaching staffs, the Browns would have beaten the Patriots, given the rosters, right? Which goes back to that whole, you know, Billies and Joes versus X and O's or whatever. Um, but I also think that if you flip quarterbacks, right? Like if you gave Bill Belichick Jacoby Brissett on Sunday and gave Kevin Stefanski Bailey Zappi on Sunday, I still think the Patriots win. So, again, that's a coaching organizational victory or, you know, point versus a talent point, right? Like, so so it's not just all about the talent. And I do think the Browns overall have the talent to compete with most teams in the league. And I think if you go player versus player with the Patriots, you give the Browns the advantage on a lot of levels. Um, you know, Amari Cooper is better than any receiver that the Patriots have. Um, you know, tight ends are kind of a wash. The Patriots spent a ton of money on their tight ends. The Browns spent a ton of money on David Njoku. Um, the Browns' offensive line is better than the Patriots' offensive line. Matthew Judon and Miles Garrett are in the same ballpark. Garrett's probably better. Um, Judon's having a great year, so, you know, whatever. They're the same. You, you could call it a wash if you want. Um, you know, he doesn't have – he's got a rookie playing corner. Like, there's just not a bunch of guys on that Patriots team. You go, oh my God, they're so good. But yeah, you look at the Browns and whether it's high draft picks or whatever, you just, and we're around them and you hear the hype, like you said, um, it, it just feels like the talent is still good enough, Chud. But I, I will say it doesn't, I don't think the talent's 
nearly as good as I thought, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll go back to Grant Delpit. I'll go to JOK, who didn't play a ton. Sione Takitaki played way more. I think it was 51 snaps to 33 snaps. And that's because they were trying to stop the run. And they know that JOK is not a great run defender. And, you know, they thought that he would make up for it with his speed and his instincts. And that doesn't show up when you're getting run against 35 times a game. So you have to question. It goes back to that point where you start questioning everything, right? But you question the roster building and the team building. Like, okay, the Browns wanted to be real fast on defense. But does that matter if you can't stop the run, right? And if you're okay being young at defensive tackle, what happens when you get exposed at defensive tackle? Because teams run it run right down your throat. So I think the individual talent is there. But I think it's fair, especially during a three-game losing streak, to question the roster construction um, because the weaknesses in the Browns, I think the Browns went in the season knowing that they had a chance for weaknesses at D-tackle, right? They were going to be young, growing pains. Joe Wood said it. Same thing at receiver, right? We talked a million times about D-tackle and receiver, and they weren't really addressed enough. And I thought, I think the Browns thought they could overcome that, and they haven't been able to, and therefore those areas of weaknesses weakness have been exposed wow man more great points and uh i I mean this has been i mean we have really uh have dived dove into this and we have so much more to get to so i think i got to put to you before we get to the ravens because i got a bunch a bunch of more questions here for you but i'm gonna have to throw you on rapid fire can we can we finish talking about the patriots on rapid fire yep all right so we'll go 25 seconds here i gotta i gotta uh, stay strong to this rapid fire right. because uh, I just want your reaction to these these thoughts, okay? Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, only 70 yards rushing, right? Yeah. Um, I get it. Nick Chubb needs more than 12 carries. I, I completely get it. I also know that the Patriots were focused on taking that away. They did a good job. The Browns tried to counter that by throwing, and it didn't work. So when it doesn't work, it looks like you should have run the ball more. And I get that, but I also think the Patriots did a good job against the run, and then the score got away from them. So I understand it's a topic. I don't think it should be as big a topic as it's been. All right, Jacoby Brissett, I think he said, you know, that they beat themselves. Uh, you know, they need to get out of their own way. They have the right people in the locker room. I, and I think he, I think that was all yep. came from him. Uh, but his interception, boy, that it was almost like you just felt like, when he threw that pick at the very beginning of the game, like, oh boy, here we go. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. it's we're we're seeing clearly that he's he's a backup quarterback. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think when he was playing better early in the year, you felt like a regression was going to happen, right? You go to you kind of play to your mean kind of thing. Um, now, I I don't think I don't think it's time to move to Josh Dobbs. Um, I think Brissett showed you some stuff early in the season that gives you some confidence that he can play that way again. He can't throw the picks. There were, it was a terrible pick. He threw a terrible pick against the Chargers at the end of that game. Um, but I, I, I guess my point is he's not as good as he showed early. He's better than he showed against the Patriots. And I think you can win like that as long as he doesn't throw bad interceptions. All right, I let you go longer on that one because yeah, that was going to be my ne- that was going to be my next question was Josh Dobbs. So once you brought up his name, that just took away the question. I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I I heard that a lot on the radio so far this week. Um, special teams, 
Oh, geez. Uh, not, not, I mean, not good enough, right? I mean, Cade York makes three field goals, so you feel better about that if you're the Browns. Um, but Chester Rogers, who's supposed to be this veteran and stabilize the return game, muffs the punt, leads to a touchdown. They have a chance to recover that outside kick, and I know it's a tough spot for A.J. Green to be in, but you can't have your feet out of bounds and touch the ball. And if yep. he doesn't, the Browns recover, and then maybe they – Maybe they score, and maybe we're talking about this game completely differently. Not even that they win, but, you know, maybe the final score is 24-21. And that feels different, right, than 38-15. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how much, like, blame to put on Green, except that was a huge play in the game that he screwed up. Yeah. How about when they went for two there late in the game? Do you agree with going for two there, or would you kick the extra point? You know what, Chud? I've, I've listened to the analytics – and now I'm okay doing that. Um, it took me a long time to get there because I like being one score down. Like uh, t- to me, mentally, you're better, right? You feel like you're in the game. The other team coaches differently because it's a one score game. Um, but I understand that that's just the way it is analytically is, hey, we want to know exactly where we stand. So if you need to get two points, go for it first. So therefore, you know how to play out the rest of the game. Um so I've just given up that fight, I guess. Like, I understand well, it, but that's the way it's right, going to be. But my question is, if you kick the extra point and you make it, right, yeah. don't you know where you stand there as well? Well, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. The argument, the analytical argument is that you're going to have to get two at some point. So, and because two is harder than the extra point, right, going for two is harder than the extra point, you need to know if you got that two points as early as possible. Because then you need to know – because. It, the argument is then you need to know whether or not to onside kick with six and a half minutes left, right? Versus um, if you're only if you're down by one by eight points, you think it's a one score game. But if you miss that two point conversion late, then there's nothing you can do about it. And the point is, if you miss the two point conversion early, then you can try to play catch up. That's the argument. Yeah. You're not gonna. That's what the analytical argument is. And you have most of the teams, if not all the teams in the league, doing that. Um, so I've just I've come to grips with it, but I completely understand the point of, hey, let's keep it a one-score game as long as possible. That yeah. makes sense to me, but nobody in the analytical world will have that argument. They're completely yeah. on the other side. Right. Uh, quickly, Miles Garrett gets the sack record and uh, how's his health? Yeah, I mean, he says he's going to play, keep playing. You know, he that shoulder that he sprained in the car accident um, was bugging him, and then it really bugged him in the fourth quarter. It showed up after that second sack of his. He's going to gut it through. He's committed to playing as long as he, you know, as long as he's able to. He's committed to playing. He won't be 100%. Um, maybe coming out of the bye is when he'll be able to be 100% again, hopefully. Um, but, you know, I know I'm going to run over. People criticize Miles Garrett like he didn't have an impact the other day. He had two sacks and a forced fumble. It's not his fault the Browns were stuck, stuffed on fourth and one and didn't get a first down there. If they score a touchdown, that's a huge play in the game. He did his part, and there's plenty of games where you can criticize Miles Garrett. I don't think Sunday was one of them. Okay, where are we at injury-wise? Um, well, we don't know about Clowney, right? It's going to be week to week. He says he's not playing until he feels right, and I don't know if it'll be this week or not. Um, as of Monday, Denzel Ward was still in the concussion protocol. We'll find out more later, either today, when we're taping this Wednesday morning, Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Um, concussions are tough. I don't think there's any reason to say yes, he's automatically going to be back this week. And why Teller calf strain? Um, MRI results probably today. 
you know, he missed three games, I think, a couple years ago with the calf strain. Um, hopefully he doesn't have to miss time because we know he's such a key piece of that offensive line. Little Deshaun Watson news this week, right? Yeah. Um, you know, back in the building last week, I think we mentioned that. Roger Goodell at the owners' meetings on Tuesday said he's on schedule to meet all the benchmarks of that settlement, right? Going to, you know, getting evaluated, going to treatment, um, going to sessions, uh, however you want to phrase it. Um, so he's on schedule as long as he keeps it up to fulfill the requirements of the suspension and come back and play December 4th. All right. Ready to get on to the Ravens? Yes, sir. Well, if we were doing the Ravens zone podcast, I think the the lead story would be, why can we not win these games when we build these leads? I mean, they haven't they like led almost every game and they're three and three? I Chad, I think they've had double digit leads in every game. I think I yeah. saw that stat, right? So it reminds me some of the of the Browns, right? The Browns until the Patriots game had led every game into the fourth quarter. Um they you know, so I know people in Baltimore think they should be way better than their record. And I get that. I really didn't obviously they're not, and you go, you know, your record is what your record is. Um but I think they've played better than three and three. And I think that should be concerning for the Browns and their fans. You, like you can't look at this team and go, "Oh, they're a three and three team." They're good. Um, I watched the I watched the last two games. I went back and watched the last two games, and they beat the Bengals at the end, and then they lose to the Giants at the end. And Lamar made a couple of bad plays at the end of that Giants game, and that's not bad luck. That's bad quarterback play. Um, but he's also, you know, played really well at times and made good throws and whatever. So my point is, they're a talented team. Um, the Browns are going to need to play a really good game to beat the Ravens. And you cannot count on the Ravens falling apart again in the fourth quarter. Like that's not the recipe is, well, we'll just hang around and then they're going to give us the game. I, I would not count on that. John Harbaugh's too good a coach. Lamar Jackson's too good a quarterback. How how would you say Lamar has been playing from a fantasy standpoint? I know he's been, he's been really good from an yeah. NFL quarterback standpoint. I, I haven't studied or watched him enough to to really break it down. Have you watched him enough to really dive into him? Yeah, I mean, I went. I watched the last two games. So I watched the win over Cincy and the loss to the Giants. I watched, you know, I went back and watched every snap of those. Um, you know, he looks like a Mark Lamar. He still runs it great. Um, you know, I think teams have figured out when he's dropping back to pass, it doesn't feel like he has the same huge play scrambling. Um, you know, I think rushes do a better job of containing him. But when they go with designed runs with him, whether it's option or zone read or just straight up quarterback runs, he's still electric. Um, and, and you know, it's I think he, I think this is the way he's been throughout his career as a passer, and I think he's gotten better as a passer. Um, he makes some unbelievable throws, and the Browns have seen that, right? Unbelievable throws, and then he'll make some bad throws where he misfires badly, and if that leads to an interception, it leads to an interception, or it's a bad incompletion. Like, I think it was a Giants game. You know, I watch them back-to-back, so they kind of blur. He had – there were two, like, short yardage plays, and the Giants put a bunch of guys on the line of scrimmage. And Lamar missed guys deep downfield where they had a chance for 14 points. He just missed them. So, you need that to happen, right? The Browns can't – if Lamar has a game where he completes 75% of his passes or 70% of his passes, the Browns have a really tough time winning that game because that means the Ravens are going to score a ton of points. So, you need Lamar to miss some key throws. You need to figure out a way to limit what Mark Andrews does because it feels like every other throw from Lamar goes to Mark Andrews. And then 
then you got to hope that Lamar doesn't kill you on the ground too. So um, I think he's playing at a high level. I know that the contract that he doesn't have, right, that extension that he still doesn't have, weighs over everything in Baltimore. Uh, I talked to some media member yesterday in Baltimore, and they said it's just like sucking out all the oxygen. But during the game, he still looks like Lamar to me. So I'm looking on Twitter right now. Uh, I don't want to quote anyone necessarily, but I've seen three different tweets about this. And the only thing that I see a difference is, is the amount of games. But I've seen it written twice that the amount of teams in NFL history to hold a double-digit lead in each of its first six games, there's 39. Of those 39 teams, um, only one does not have a winning record, and that's the Ravens. Right, so it's double-digit leads at some point in the game. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. It is. Uh, it, so, it shows you how talented they are, right, that they're able to take double-digit leads, I would say. Yeah. I mean, remember that one they lost to the Dolphins? I mean, they just – Yeah, yeah. That, that was epic meltdown. Right, right, right. They had, so, I mean, against the – um. I'm going to lose it now. It was before the Bengals game. They had a chance to go in. Was it Buffalo? They had a chance to beat Buffalo, and they went for a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal to take a three-point lead, and then Buffalo goes down and wins the game. Right? Like, they, like you can point to about four plays. And even in the game Sunday against the Giants, they had a third and one with, like, three minutes left, and they get a, um, a legal lineman. Like, they weren't lined up properly. They convert it. They wind up going third and six, and I think – and then, actually, then Lamar, it's a snap that he wasn't ready for, bounces away, he picks it up, and he mm-hmm. scrambles and throws a terrible interception. But if they convert third and one, which just means they have a receiver covering the tackle, right, um, the, the game's probably over. So they could easily be better than the record. They beat the Jets 24-9 in week one, lost to the Dolphins 42-38 to in week two. That's the one I mentioned. They beat the Patriots 37-26, so there's a comparison to yep. what just happened to the Browns. Lost to the Bills 23-20. Beat the Bengals 19-17. Yeah. That was that Last wild game. Sure. That was a wild one, I think. And then uh, they lost to the Giants 24-20. I mean, they could eat – honestly, God, they could be easy, obviously, with that stat. Easily be 6-0. Really easily be 5-1. and So – you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying anybody's taking solace in the fact that they're three and three, um, you can't. It's th- this is going to be a really difficult game for the Browns, and I think the fact that they're a touchdown underdog um, drives home that point. Yeah, I mean, maybe on a positive note, maybe they'll be looking ahead to the Buccaneers <laughs> the the next week. I don't know. There's there's something maybe something to be said there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, how about the Ravens' defense? Uh, and if you mentioned it, I apologize. I was looking up that stat. No, I mean, they're, you know, it, I don't think they're the same old Ravens defense. You know, they got Marlon Peter or Marlon Humphrey and, and Marcus Peters still at corner. Um, I don't think they're the same players they used to be. Um, although Peters, I thought I saw a really good stat about him. You know, they had a really good game. Um, you know, they got a rookie at safety, got an Notre Dame. Um, you know, they don't have the huge names that they used to. But I'm telling you, watching these two games, it still looked to me like they got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Um, and they've always been good against the run. So, you know, I don't think they're the dominant Ravens defense from, you know, years ago. But they still look pretty good to me. So, yeah, they're just a solid team. So they just are. Um, you know, J.K. Dobbins is, you know, his knee tightened up on him last week, so he didn't um, play a lot. And then the backup comes in and was great. And I'm blanking on his name right now. It's number 17. Um, and he was really good. 
So Drake? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he was great. Kenyon Drake, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and he's explosive and fast. You know, so and I so yeah, they just have some pieces. Now, they're not explosive in the pass game with their receiving core. You know, right? Rashad Bateman is hurt. He may come back this week. He's like their number one guy. And a lot so a lot of it falls on Mark Andrews. So you think, okay, if you take away the tight end, you have a chance. Because they don't, uh, yeah. you know, they don't have Marquise Brown anymore. And um, you know, Duvernay does some stuff for him. But uh, you know, so like you know, they're not like a hugely complete roster, but you don't need to be when you have the playmaker playmaker Lamar is the run game, and then you got a tight end like Mark Andrews. Scott, I have Mark Andrews in the uh, ACI, the Adam Kaplan Invitational, which I told you about a few weeks ago yeah. on this podcast. That National League, John Hansen, the guru. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I'm five and one right now in first place in that league. A big part of that is because of Andrews. Yeah, I mean, it's a billion balls, man. <laughs> yeah, so had to brag a little bit there, only because it's a national. And and I'll also tell you about my losses. I'm in a league with my daughter. <laughs> I'm in a league with my daughter, and I'm one in five. So, you know, I mean, it happens. I got in too many leagues this year. You know, I'm usually a one a one league guy. And right. I, I, yeah. I don't too many leagues. It's hard, thing, man. Yeah. And and then you're rooting for guys that you need to do you know, good in one league <laughs> right. and bad in the other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've been there. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Uh, anything else before we get to uh, prediction time? Uh, no. Right, I just want one thing real quick. It's been yeah. kind of way bugging me the last couple of days. Like. I get the reaction to the NFL, and I love it, right? I love the hyper-focus and the overreaction. Um, but sometimes it weighs on me, right? Like, I get that the Browns are in a three-game losing streak, and that's awful. And I talked about all the issues, right? It's not like I'm ignoring any of those. Um, but I do think it's fascinating that when when an NFL team loses, right, all the good stuff that happens is, like, erased. Nobody talks about it. It's, you know – Miles Garrett could have four sacks, but if it comes in a loss, it's he's part of the problem. And then if you win, you ignore all the bad stuff that happens, right? Not yep. as a coach, but as a fan base or a, you know some media. Um, and, and I I think it's fascinating, but I also think it's you know not the not the right way to look at it, right? Like you have to you have to be able to have some perspective. Like just because you lose a game doesn't mean the world's ending. Just because this happened doesn't mean this happened, you know. And I think when and I get it, like I understand where it comes from. But you get in the middle of a three-game losing streak, and you know I, we talked about it earlier. Like you do feel like everything's the problem, and everything might be the problem, but it might not be, right? Like there might be things that can be fixed. You might be able to settle things down. One win changes everything, right? So uh, I, I just kind of want to straddle that line between having the proper reaction and overreaction. Um, you know, and, and I think it's tough, and I get it, and but I, I just kind of want to throw that out there because. I think some of the reaction has been over the top. And I would even throw, you know, not that the idea of playing Josh Dobbs is ridiculous because I, I understand where it comes from. But Jacoby Brissett, until he threw that bad pick against the Chargers, I thought he played really well. So he plays a bad 63 minutes. Does that mean Josh Dobbs is a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett? Like, like I, I just think right. um, sometimes you need to take a breath and say, okay, you know, I, I need to see more before I'm making a decision, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think in the Brissett case, it's just a matter of, you know, he's just a better quarterback when he comes into a game as a backup or he's only, you know, I, I just I think to stretch him, stretch him out through an entire – I'm not making a case for Dobbs by any means. Right. I'm just saying, you know, I, I think what's happening to Brissett is, you know, maybe – 
there's more I, I mean there's plenty of film on him from the past I'm trying to figure out how to say it I, I just feel like as the season goes on it's more difficult for a backup any backup quarterback to have success yeah well, I, that's I, yeah that's completely correct Chuck. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And I, I love your point and I agree with it I think we mentioned this uh, a couple podcasts ago now is I'm I'm making sure I remember this wasn't it the Chargers game where if York, York's field goal like right. he, that was the Chargers game right yeah our yeah. podcast would have been completely different if that field goal goes in, right? Correct. And you and I have been doing this together since, what, 2008, 2007? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you come on the show on Sunday nights, you know, and I, of course, you know, Browns Tonight, Sports Tonight, whatever we called the show on Channel 3, I, that show would have been produced completely different based on a win or a loss. Right. You're right. And, and, and how you look at the topics and – and just a field goal being the difference of a win or a loss is how you look at that game. And, and, and you break it down like, well, if this would have happened, they would have won. Or if this would have happened, maybe they – all right, how about this? You, when they lose, you look at all of the little things that would have made them win. But when they win, you don't break down all the little things that would have made them lose, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah, it's like when your team gets a bad roughing the passer call, you go nuts. But when – your team benefits from it. Nobody says a word, right? Like, and I get it. Like that's, I get it. That's perspective. And it's the way of the world. And it's one of the things I love about the NFL, because then you have this passion, right? And you have this, which is why people listen to the podcast. People watch you on TV. People read the stuff, right? Like people call on the radio. It's all because of the passion. And I really love that. I'm just saying sometimes, you know, a little perspective isn't the worst thing. Yeah, well, just look at the Guardians here. My wife and I were talking last night, like Naylor with rocking that baby. Right. Like everyone's like, not everyone, but I, I guess the thought is, oh, you hate the Yankee fans because they're doing that. I thought it was actually pretty funny that they did it. And and Naylor put it upon himself, right? But I think that's what makes it kind of fun. Just like Yankees fans hate, hate the SpongeBob song and Cleveland yeah. fans are loving it, right? I right. Mean, and especially if Naylor's up for it, which he is. Like he said, he thought it was cool. So it wasn't yeah. like it didn't come from a we're going to start fighting, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from that aspect, I agree. I like that too. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That that's I, I like that topic. So, all right, all right. Uh, I got that off my chest. You want to pick some game? Pick the game here. Yeah, no, I I I love that you threw that out there. So man, this has been a great podcast. I, I this has been we got a lot in. So now it's good. prediction time. Uh, I think I went first. Oh well, first of all, I've been working so hard to catch you because I've been. <laughs> I've been behind you all year, but guess what? We're we're yeah, all tied up now. I three know. three. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing about last week. I'm just gonna flat out tell you. Um, I was pretty confident in that pick. Now I wouldn't have been surprised that the Browns won, just like you you picked the Browns, but you're not surprised they lost. No. I know that. And right. and you said that. And we've we've kind of mentioned that in different games. But I felt pretty confident in the Patriots pick for a couple of reasons. Number one, what they did to them last year. Number two, the coaching. And number three, after I picked them to beat Atlanta, I decided I was not going to pick them again in a game where I felt they might lose until 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 they win again and show me they can win again. That that's where I turned how I'm predicting them. You know, and I'm like yeah. I. I, I regretted that Falcons pick, and then that's another reason why I went and I, I needed to do that just to tie you up. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I, I get it, and I and I'm actually Judd. I'm going to make my pick here. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal something from you. I, I can't. I, I don't know if I can pick them again until they win a game. Um, <laughs> and it could happen Sunday, right? Like they could go into Baltimore and win. Like that's not the craziest thing in the world, but it, it, it's an uphill battle, right? We I talked about how good I thought Baltimore was. 
that's a tough place to win. I've been there a bunch of times. I'm going to go Sunday. It's a tough place to win. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson is really good. Uh, you know, and, and if the Browns have to figure out a way to get out of this funk. And I think that's, I think that's really tough to do. And it puts a lot of pressure on the coaching staff, a lot of pressure on the players. Um, you know, I, I think the sense of urgency obviously is there. We talked about Jack Conklin saying you have to have a playoff mindset. Like, I, I believe the Browns are there. Like, they're going to give their effort and they know that they need to win this game. Um, but it just feels like there's a lot of stuff to correct. And this is a tough team to have to correct it against. And, you know, it probably, they probably, they would probably rather have the bye this week than two weeks from now because the season could be, like we t- I talked about at the beginning, the season could be, you know, gotten away from them if they lose the next two games before the bye week. So having said all that, you know, I would be stunned if the Browns won, but I certainly can't pick them given the recent struggle. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm going to go closer than, you know, closer in the line. Um, I'm going to go Baltimore 23, Cleveland 20. 23-20. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, you got to you gotta see them win again before you can pick them, I think. Uh, I think the recipe for a Browns win is simply run the ball and yeah. get time of possession. You, you got to keep the ball out of Lamar's hands. The, the time – a Browns victory, I think, would be a time of dis- possession discrepancy that's just huge, right? And – uh, you know, Brissett doesn't th- make any interceptions that cost them. They just run the ball. They keep it a little, a little low scoring, and somehow the Browns' defense does a 180 and just shocks us yeah. and, and has like the game of the year. That's the recipe yeah. for a Browns win, I think. Yeah, I but I'm not agree. Yeah, yeah, I'm not calling for it though. No, uh, yeah. and, and I'm gonna go 27 17. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a 10 point gap. You know, it could be. 2017 late in the game and then you have that crazy touchdown that just so then you know people who had the browns plus six and a half they they don't get the cover so because it is six and a half uh over under is i think 45 and a half okay so i'm going 27 17 ravens okay yeah i'm glad you said that about the recipe because i'm with you i I think it is you got to run the ball a bunch and the ravens are gonna make it tough um you know saquon barkley did not have a big game he had some runs, you know, last week against the Giants, but it didn't, it, you know, it looked like the Ravens were trying to take him away and they did a pretty good job. And I think there's, that's similar to what they're going to try to do against the Browns and Nick Chubb. Um, but yeah, that's the way to do it for the Browns, right? Control the clock, maybe make a couple of big plays, but dominate possession. Um, and, you know, they had four turnovers last year in Baltimore and weren't able to win the game. If they could get a couple more, which they've been terrible at, they right? They've only got five takeaways all year. If that like that's what could flip this, right? It, it, that's how you turn around a three-game winning streak. You get on a streak where you get takeaways, you don't turn it over, and all of a sudden that's how you can win a couple games you're not favored to win. So um, that is the recipe. I just I'm not confident in predicting that recipe to be uh, executed. So, well, Chad, I got to go to Berea. Um, yeah, this is a fun podcast. I really appreciate it, buddy. Um, th- um, thank you everyone for listening. We'll do this again next week. Um, this has been another episode of the Zone Coverage Podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thanks, Chud. Thanks, everybody.